This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My name is Christopher Bishop, and I'm your host. My guest today is Dr. Preena Narang. She's the co-founder and CTO of Alero Quantum. Preena Narang is the CTO and co-founder of a Boston-based VC-backed startup, Alero Quantum. And Alero recently launched a series of products critical to the development of future quantum networks and scalable quantum information processing. Dr. Narang is also an assistant professor at the John A. Paulson School of Engineering and Applied Sciences at Harvard University. Prior to joining the faculty, Dr. Narang came to Harvard as a ZIF fellow and worked as a research scholar in condensed matter theory at the MIT Department of Physics. She received an MS and a PhD in applied physics from the California Institute of Technology, Caltech. Her company, Alero, is leading the charge on quantum network market development by offering the foundational technologies needed for organizations around the world to build powerful quantum systems by leveraging entanglement as a service. Alero is enabling the design and control of quantum networks while partnering with both national labs and hardware vendors, including IBM Q Network, Rigetti and Honeywell Quantum Solutions to make quantum-based secure communication and scalable quantum computing accessible. So hi, Pri, and thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me here, and I'm really excited about this conversation. So Pri, I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. My objective is, of course, to give our audience a sense of what you did before you founded Alero Quantum, but also to orient them to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So I'd ask that you please share with our listeners a bit about your background and your path so far. Things like, you know, where you grew up, where you went to school, what you studied, insight into other companies or organizations where you worked. Absolutely. I wasn't always a quantum scientist, a quantum (laughs) engineer. Actually, sometime in middle school, I thought I was going to be a professional runner. Wow. Don't ask me why I thought that, but yeah, it was reasonably fast. There weren't that many people on, on the track team I ran with. So I thought, you know, this is a good idea. <laughs> and at some point, uh, a coach pulled me aside and said, Uh-oh. you're a good runner, but I hear you're good at this science thing, you know, <laughs> math and science thing. And I thought to myself, yeah, but that's, that's cool. That, that's, you know, different. Uh-huh. Um, and I got signed up to, uh, you know, do the physics Olympiad. I got signed up to do the chemistry Olympiad. Don't ask me why all of these all at once. But there was uh, a moment in time where I thought this is like competing at track events. It's mm-hmm. going to be, you know, a, a roster and some things that'll be my top thing and, and some things that are my, my B event. And it's going to be great. And <laughs> wow. that drew me into science. That drew me into, you know, what I then realized was uh, perhaps the only semi-skill I have, which is to, to uh, do some physics. So I went to college and I started working in you know, areas of predicting stuff. And this is before I decided I wanted to be a theorist. So I was still thinking about, you know, do I want to do experiment? Do I want to do theory? Right. Experiments at the time, to me, seemed so amazing. You know, I, I worked actually briefly at IBM Research and 
Yorktown Heights with uh, Frances Ross. And, you know, she had these like very big TEM transmission electron microscopy systems. She has oh. since moved to, to MIT. And, you know, I thought to myself, well, this is, this is real science. You know, there's hardware involved, there's these big vacuum chambers, and, and you do an experiment that takes days and days. And this is just amazing. And then, you know, I realized, well, the theory is fun. I, I enjoy doing experiments, but I enjoy understanding the phenomena. I enjoy being able to predict before it's measured. And that's uh, what I ended up doing in grad school. So oh. I went to warm California for grad school to, to Caltech, SoCal. Right. Yeah. And another thought I had at the time was, oh, I'm never going back to the East Coast. Those of you <laughs> who now know I'm in Boston, no famous last words. I thought this is this is uh, this is how to live life. And yeah. at Caltech, I got very interested in areas of quantum optics, quantum photonics, and also how we can predict various quantum interactions. Now, at the time, I was thinking of all of these predictions, all the theoretical and computational work we we're doing, as being on classical devices, right? So it was all about you know, big bad computers. Slightly more nerdy people would tell you, well, <laughs> there was a lot of uh, emphasis on GPUs, but it wasn't mainstream yet. It was uh, it was a lot of fun, you know. And and I started thinking, well, okay, theory is fun. It, it's not what you think of when you think of a theorist, right? A, a popular image of uh, a theorist is that someone who is very writing something on the board and, right. and they're working alone and and they're thinking really hard. In reality, it's very very collaborative, very common. The blackboard mm. part still exists, but a lot of it is about, you know, let's get coffee, let's discuss this idea, let's all mm. sit down and, and sketch this out. And I really fell in love with both theory and working with colleagues on, on hard problems. And so when it came time to figure out what I want to do with my life after grad school, I thought, well, I'll give this uh, academic thing a shot. Seems like a good opportunity to continue working with amazing people, talking about you know, crazy new ideas, and, and this is the way to go. That brought me first to MIT and then uh, to, to Harvard. So the segue is, yeah, leaving sunny Pasadena for cold Cambridge. <laughs> <All right>. Yep. <laughs> wow. So great story. So give, give me a sense of, so you work at Harvard and Allero Quantum, so it spans a number of fields. Can you tell me about, you know, working across these areas, right? Because you're still a professor and you have your lab and you're working at Allero. And who knows what else you're doing, <laughs> but uh, how do those connect? Like, tell me about working across those areas. So my group at Harvard thinks about quantum materials, various types of quantum interactions, quantum devices. We focus very heavily on making you know quantum a part of people's daily life, hmm. but from a very fundamental perspective. Yeah. So, you know, we think about, are there new materials that can do amazingly better than the best thing out there right now? It could be a new nonlinear photonic material, it could be a, a, you know, a material that becomes some form of optical qubit, but it's yeah. very fundamental. And something I realized that, that I had always in the back of my mind is that I also want these things to get out there and really you know, be something that I can point to a, somebody who's using something and say, hey, yeah. I had a role in building that. Yeah. So that's so... Again, so the segue is that that was a motivation, say, for you and Jim deciding to start a company. Tell me, so, you know, how that came about. Like, how did you guys find each other and come up with this idea to do what you're now doing? Right. So there were a couple of students in my 
group actually who first uh, got me onto this. Let's start a company now. Yeah, I had this in the back of my mind. That would be nice to to do something someday. Yeah. The catalyst. Well, there are two things. There's a physical sciences accelerator competition that hmm. Harvard was putting together, and and they you know set this thing around, and it was being very heavily publicized. And somebody said, "Oh, you know, you've uh, filed some interesting IP. I, I noticed that you do a few things that could be potentially construed as useful." You should apply for this. <laughs> Potentially construed as useful. Yikes. <laughs> and Funny. another important uh, accelerant there was that the students said, you know, we want to do this and we want to do this with you, hmm. not necessarily in a research capacity, but we wow. want to take this technology further. And so we applied for this. It was very, you know, civilized. There's two pages, not... Hmm. It didn't seem like a big activation barrier. I think that was intentional. And if you got selected, which there were some number of people who got selected, you you know presented for 15 minutes to mm. an audience. They didn't tell us very much about the audience. They said, you know, there'll be technologists, maybe some investors, maybe some faculty, who knows? So yeah. we prepared something quite general, talking about how you would think about various types of quantum hardware, but slightly abstracting away from it. That was the idea. It was yeah. nothing you know, particularly super complex about it. And it was easy to explain. So we did that. Yeah. And when I, as we walked into the room and as we were leaving, it immediately occurred to me that, you know, so these people who were in the audience, well, there were two faculty members, but everyone else was uh, an investor just based on the kinds of questions they were asking us and the the interest they had. So unbeknownst to any of us, uh, we'd already (laughs) pitched, I guess. uh, A dozen investors. Uh, wow! And, and uh, so that's that's how um, things came to be. Flybridge re- led our our seed round. Uh, David Aronoff. You have Crosslink, Matt Biggie. You know, it was a very fun and and fast process. Yeah. So it didn't, wow. you know, it just just happened. What a great story! Oh my goodness! Surprise! It's investors. Hey, <laughs> really. Hey. Well, so tell me about um, Alero Quantum Entanglement as a Service, EAAS, right? So your website says that quantum networks using EAAS can provide a range of applications from secure communication to distributed quantum computing and eventually the quantum internet of tomorrow. So how does that work? So before I dive into entanglement as service and get technical, (laughs) I just want to take a step back and say, when we think about some of the most important inventions, right? I'd mm-hmm. say the, the internet is among them. It's at least yeah. some of the most significant. Things have matured very fast in various areas of quantum technology that are allowing us now to think about something that is uh, essentially the, the quantum internet. And it could really have a big impact. It could change how we think about communication. It could actually allow us to get computers to scale. There, there's a lot of promise there. And now this whole thing, relies on our ability to take entanglement, entanglement here being the most quantum resource you could think of, and distribute it across the network. Or if you want to just think about before you worry about a whole network, two or three parties. And we want to be able to create and distribute entanglement between these parties that are not just next to each other, but that are quite a distance apart. And this in itself is actually uh, you know, a fairly big challenge. So if things are 
close to each other, life is good. But typically, you're using photons to carry this entanglement across a fairly large distance, right? When we think about communication, think about transatlantic communication. So, you know, the quantum internet is a long ways from being at that point. But regardless of the scale of your network, right, you're sharing entanglement across this across this network, across the various parties that are part of that network. And what we really focus on is how we can develop all of the pieces of this, this network stack, this, this eventual quantum internet, without worrying about one critical piece of this that has not yet been commercialized, which is the, the quantum repeater. Now, this might seem a little bit counterintuitive. Why are we building the, you know, the, the whole uh, stack before this key piece is done? But part of the reason is because, you know, if you can share entanglement across two or three parties, even in a, a small metropolitan area without necessarily having a repeater, or even across two devices that are co-located in the same room, you can realize either a, a small network or distributed quantum computing. And both of those by themselves are actually quite quite interesting, quite relevant, quite technologically important. And distributed quantum computing could be, for example, a way for us to get to scale and, and get to those high value problems that everyone's always talking about, but are too big for current devices. They're, you know, but they don't, they're not necessarily too big for uh, a connected system. And the thing all of these uh, realizations have in common is that you're taking this very, very non-classical resource, and you're sharing it across the parties. And if you can do that, life is good. And so we we decided to focus heavily on on getting this quantum resource across the network and thinking about entanglement as a service. No, oh, fantastic. So I wanted to pick your brain around sort of QKD versus EAAS, right? So there's debate around QKD networks, which use a prepare and measure protocol. Um, that differs from EAAS networks, which distribute entanglement. So what's the advantage of EAAS over QKD? What's your take on pros yeah. and cons? So, you know, QKD has been around for, for some time. It's in some ways uh, something that, that is especially popular in in Europe. And this is where uh, you don't need a repeater. You you really are, are uh, able to just share keys and and make things happen that are somewhat secure. Now, the problem is there have been a lot of uh, loopholes pointed out in in QKD, including some of the more recent realizations. And there's a lot of skepticism that QKD, you know, while, again, it makes things a little more secure in the short term, if it's the eventual solution to fully secure quantum communication. Trying to be cautious here with how I represent the work of uh, various people, but there, there's a lot of skepticism of QKD being the eventual solution. It's a, it's a nice intermediate solution. Entanglement as service networks that share, generate, share, and, and use entanglement as a backbone overcome some of the limitations that people have pointed out about QKD, in particular, the, the various uh, security loopholes. And we think that that's a big reason to do it. I could give you slightly more commercial reasons, and I would, one of them would be that you know DoD has decided against QKD. Um, there, there are various other prominent agencies that have said uh, you know QKD they've, they've uh, eliminated that as, as something that they would uh, 
want everyone to to embrace as as the solution. But entanglement generating and entanglement using networks overcome all of the the criticisms of QKT and to the best of our knowledge of the, the various security proofs that you, you can show that quantum networks will be physics-based undeniable security, right? So that's that's one of the big reasons why people are moving away from QKD to you know, using entanglement. And the reason why people have waited so long, perhaps, is, is because you need repeaters to think about a long-range quantum network. And like I said, you know, repeaters are just now coming online. So that's great. Thank you for sharing that. There's always the inevitable sort of SDK question, if you will. So I have to ask, is the Allero solution qubit agnostic? We know there are many options being explored, superconducting, trapped ion, photons, NV diamonds, others. But what are the implications of the Allero approach from a software perspective? That's an excellent question. So, you know, we abstract away from the physical realization, which is to say that the exact implementation of this repeater. And there, like you just mentioned, various very promising ways to do it. And it's hard to figure out if things will even involve just a single type of qubit. Could be other, you know, various uh, hybrid realizations, hybrid platforms that eventually end up uh, winning. Now, this is important in, in classical networks as well to, to abstract just enough away from the, the implementation so that you can actually implement the rest of the stack that sits on top. Yeah. Especially, you know, realizing that, that the synchronization constraints is something that you want to know, but you, you don't want every aspect of that to be tied to exactly how something is implemented. So you work out the, the rest of the stack for, for a particular implementation that that will not be a good idea. Yeah. But if you can actually meaningfully abstract and then build the synchronization and the control plane on top of that, then you're, you're in good shape. And that's, uh, that's what we've been doing. That's what we have. That's what we've been building. And in fact, it's been a, a core part of our DNA to remain hardware aware, but mm-hmm. still hardware agnostic. Hardware aware. I like that. Yeah, someone else used that term at IQT last week. Yeah. So let's just drill down into that a little more. Again, based on my research, you know, the the Allero solution uses a quantum control plane that controls the quantum data plane, the quantum hardware, and a classical control channel. Can you describe sort of how they work together? Like you sort of implied you know, the, the two levels of abstraction, if you will, but can you give our listeners just another level of detail, granularity around how those pieces connect, if you will? Sure. So, you know, we're doing all of this over existing fiber and and we're using it for both establishing and, and sharing entanglement, but also for you know communicating over, over the classical channel. So this is another way of saying that everything will not be communicated over the quantum channel. That would be incredibly slow. That would, you know, essentially uh, take forever. And so we have this uh, you know Lyra quantum orchestrator architecture, which is part of this uh, slight abstraction, but also synchronization. So I guess we, we you know, have put those uh, into this musical word. <laughs> yeah. And that, that uh, talks <laughs> up to the, uh, uh, the, the uh, control plane. And it's essentially, you know, within the, the, this, this whole kind of aspect, we 
talk all the way down to the, the device management interface with, you know, could be a device data model, a Yang model that, that you have. Um, there are things in this, uh, um, you know, service management interface. So you could have, again, for your service data model, you could have uh, various things there. You, and, and what's important is that, you know, you you want to get parameters at the moment, right, for what each of the components that maybe have uh, been individually demonstrated but not put together do. But eventually you want to be able to actually, you know, define experiments on these, run specific things, be able to do resource reservation and, and all of that good stuff. And so we can, we're building the stack that, that essentially allows us to do all of that, talking all the way, again, uh, right on, on all the way down to, to the, the hardware. Now, the main functions of our you know, distributed control plane would be, of course, establishing elementary entanglement generation. That's key step. Being able to do entanglement distillation or, or purification, the swap, and of course, eventually the teleportation step. And we have, you know, support that in for for various uh, components that go into such a complex network. So not everything has the same constraint, right? So some things require real time control. Some things you can actually get away from the the hard real time requirements, and that's all built into our stack into into our technology. Wow, fantastic! Let's talk test beds for a moment. So again, in preparing yes. for our conversation. Um, can you tell me a bit about the work you're doing with the Center for Quantum Networks and the National Science Foundation's Quantum Leap Challenge Institute Hybrid Architectures and Networks, HQAN? So what role do these testbeds play in the emergence of the quantum internet? Right. So actually, the Center for Quantum Networks is a NSF-funded uh, engineering research center. And I have, a, as a faculty member, a leadership role there. I leads uh, one of the trusts on devices and, and fundamentals. And Alero is a part of uh, CQN as you know, one of the, the founding members and, and the first startup in the door. And the, the focus at CQN, and it's, it's a, you know, a long project, is, is to essentially demonstrate some of these solid-state repeaters to show how a quantum repeater system testbed behaves. And, and that includes, you know, various aspects of uh, an integration system level hardware integration um, there are various things being developed by by members of the team and you know, this is good stuff like how would you do single photon detection at the limit of detection how would you think about various types of uh, transduction between types of uh, qubit realizations so it's it's really you know an important effort, and it's it's one of the biggest quantum network centers in in the country. It's uh, an important part of NSF's commitment to to making uh, quantum networks a reality. And my role there, in this dual hat, has uh, really been both you know how do we explore the fundamentals, but how do we also translate some of those things out to Alira, especially the things that will be again knowing what's the the latest hardware coming out. How do you actually talk to the latest hardware? Um, how does that change the parameters in our network systems design? I think all of those, you know, being able to have that close connectivity is uh, very important. The technology transition is uh, actually a part of uh, the, the testbed effort. So it's it's essentially to say that, okay, first will come proof of concept testbeds that are in an academic domain. Next will come proof of concept testbeds in a commercial domain. and 
eventually we'll be talking about an actual commercial network. And in order for that transition to be somewhat seamless, um, these types of uh, interactions are, are pretty important. So, yeah. Great. So that's very exciting. I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I have you captive here as a thought leader in this space and ask you to predict, you know, look in your crystal ball and <laughs> give me a sense of where you see quantum networks headed. Like where will we be in two years or maybe in five years or even by 2030? What's your take on sort of the evolution and adoption and ongoing iteration of, of this technology? It's, it's interesting. So everything in quantum comes a little bit faster than expected. At least uh, in the past five years, that's been you know, what we've observed in, in quantum computing. And I, I suspect some of the same trends will percolate into quantum networks. It's in part because of the you know, single-minded focus that various communities have in, in, in making quantum technology scalable. But I think we'll see repeaters that are commercially available in, in the next two to three years. I think there are already solutions out there for, you know, uh, quantum memory. We're partnering with some of these uh, solutions out there. They're not exactly a full quantum repeater system with an, you know, we and some of our partners hope that ours will be the first to, to market. Um, I think in the next maybe five years, we'll start to see these uh, first commercial networks. You know, they probably won't be transatlantic. They probably won't be. But I, I think we'll see, you know, more than just a metropolitan area network, let's say. And I think in the, the next decade, we'll, we'll start to see something that looks like a scalable, getting towards fault tolerant quantum network and applications that we haven't yet. This is going to be an important component, by the way, that there will be applications we haven't imagined yet, right? So everything that people suggest as the first applications, maybe in eight years, we'll look back and say, oh, that order was completely the other way around. or here are three obvious things. How do we not see it? So I think that's uh, what we're going to be discussing as uh, 2030 years. Great. I always like to close the podcast by asking about workforce, which is an area of passion for me. Um, I'm going to get your take on the challenges facing a company like Alero and, and finding talent, You know how you go about recruiting. Since you're based in Cambridge, you obviously have access to universities like MIT and Harvard. And wondering if this provides a talent pipeline, but also other other sources you're drawing from. A quantum workforce and a quantum ready workforce, something I care about a lot. And I'm glad you brought this up because hiring talent in this space is incredibly important. By the way, we at Alero are hiring rapidly. So I encourage you to, to consider working with us. You know, we've been able to draw on a, a good pool of people in the Boston area, not just people who have a quantum background, but also a lot of people who have a very strong classical networking background from the commercial domain. And I think that's going to be incredibly important as we think about quantum networks as, as a technology, as a scalable technology that really has impact, you know, how we get folks, well, how do we not relearn things that our colleagues in classical networking have known for a while? And also, you know, how we can uh, best bring some of that talent into quantum networking in, in the next uh, next few years. So there's a lot of uh, work happening towards that, you know, uh, workshops and, and discussions that bring together people from the quantum and from the classical networking side, you know, put people in the room together, see 
see where that goes. I and a few people as a part of the Center for Quantum Networks are trying to develop you know, a master's level curriculum that introduces people to quantum information and quantum networking in particular. And the hope is that, you know, some of these people will become the technologists that actually the, the field needs to, to grow. Well, Preet, thank you so much. We've come to the end of our session. Uh, I want to invite listeners to follow you on LinkedIn, right? I want to point them to the to two websites, the company site, IlliroQuantum.com, and your site at Harvard, Narang.seas.harvard.edu for all our listeners. Uh, you guys have a Twitter handle as well. And maybe say one more thing about hiring. Let's encourage listeners to be aware that uh, there's tremendous opportunity to Lero. Any specific oh, gosh. skill yes, sets? We, or, uh, you know, we're looking for people across uh, this uh, quantum networking stack. So people with a software background, people with a classical networking background, network architecture background, and of course, uh, folks who have a, a quantum algorithm or, or quantum information background. So really, if you're interested, you know, write us, apply. We're doubling in size. So now's the time to come join us. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Priya. It's been a delight talking to you. And uh, hope to see you in person soon at, at an event or in some setting. So Absolutely. really appreciate you. Thank you for having me here. Thanks again for joining me today, Pri. I want to encourage our listeners to share this podcast on social media channels like LinkedIn and Twitter. I want to increase the impact of my conversation with Dr. Narang and expand awareness of the exciting work that Alero is doing in the quantum networking space. We have other podcast episodes. Check out the previous episodes of Quantum Tech Pod. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I want to mention this has been a production of Inside Quantum Technologies. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.